Well, hey, good morning, New Spring. How are you all doing today? Doing good? Man, I'll tell you what, this has been a heck of a series, right? I mean, nothing like a good acronym, you know, P-U-S-H, pray until something happens. And I just love this series and I'm really into it because I think this is a series for everybody. Because, you know, we might disagree about certain things here. We might disagree about politics or we might disagree about sports. We might disagree about entertainment. But I think all of us can just about agree that we want something to happen in life. We want something to happen in our marriages. We want something to happen in our career. We want something to happen with our kids. We want something to happen with our future. We want something to happen with our relationship with God. We all want the SH in push. We can all agree that we want the SH in push. It's just, I don't know about you, but my problem is a lot of times I don't want to do the P so that the SH is possible. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but the good news is when you put it all together, when we pray until something happens, God can do extraordinary things. And that's why this series, I think, has been powerful. And I hope it's been a life changer for you. It's been a life changer for me. But uh, well, here we are. This is the S in push, something. When we pray Something. What does God give us? Because you see, up till now, we've been talking about what we can control. We pray, we wait. That's what we can do. This week is about what God does on his end. When we pray and we wait, what does God do? What is the something that we receive from God? And this can be a tricky subject because sometimes God answers prayer the way we expect him to. And other times he answers prayer in the way we don't expect him to. I think um, one of my favorite stories about this dilemma is sort of an old story that gets passed around from pastor to pastor. It's been passed around so many times, I wonder what the original sounds like. Uh, But it's one of my favorites. It's a story about a little boy who wanted a bicycle for his birthday, but he didn't know how to pray for it. So he turned on Christian TV to listen to some pastors talk about prayer to find out how to pray for his bicycle. So after he watched this very traditional pastor give a sermon on TV about prayer, the boy got on one knee and he said, Almighty and eternal God, if it is in your everlasting will, I would like a bicycle. (laughs) Your humble servant, may your kingdom last forever and ever. Amen. And, uh, you know, pretty formal prayer for a seven-year-old, but he wakes up the next morning and unfortunately there's no bicycle. So he says, well, you know what? I'll give it another shot. So he watches some more Christian TV and he watches a much more charismatic pastor on TV and then he gets on his knee again and he prays, dear Jesus, I declare my need for a bicycle. I claim that it shall be blue and I declare that it shall be on my parents' front porch by 7.30 tomorrow morning. (laughs) He wakes up the next morning, no bike, and so he says, well, man, I guess I better do plan B. So uh, this little boy, he starts running around his house. His mom's wondering what on earth is going on. She sees him dig into this old box that's got the you know, nativity scene for Christmas in it. And he finds the little statue of the Virgin Mary, grabs the statue of the Virgin Mary, tucks it under his arm, runs off into the woods, leaves the statue of Mary there. And then he comes back about 10 minutes later and he says, you know what, I'm going to give this one more shot. So he gets down on one knee and he prays one more time. Dear Jesus... Now look, if you ever want to see your mother again, (laughs) 
Here's the thing, you know, we laugh at that um, because it's a funny story, but I think sometimes the mysterious way that God answers prayer can leave us just as confused as that little boy. Because, you know, like I said, sometimes God answers prayer the way we want him to, sometimes he doesn't. And so right now in our culture and in, on television and in our culture today, we're constantly asking the question, when we pray, does something really happen? When we pray, does something even happen? I mean, can prayer still do things? Can prayer accomplish things? Can miracles still come from prayer? Can prayer move mountains? Can prayer change your life? Can prayer change the world? This is what we're wondering today, and I think it's an extremely good question. But thank God the answer is in James 5.16, where it says this, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power, and it produces wonderful results. Notice it doesn't say what those, what, what those results are. It doesn't say that we always receive what we expected, but it makes two things perfectly clear. Number one, prayer is powerful. And number two, prayer produces results. If you want the Cliff's Notes version on that, which is what I always want because I want to get to the point, um, the Cliff's Notes version is that when God's people pray, things happen. When God's people pray, stuff happens. Uh, I was just reading a story the other day about a teacher in Perth, Australia. It's a city on the west coast of Australia, and um, the teacher's name was David Bunton, and he taught at this school. It was, it was a public school. There weren't many believers at this school. There was very few Christians, and... Um, it was also kind of a, it was a school in a rough part of town. It was a rough school. But David, he was sort of a quiet teacher, but, you know, he was a Christian. He was a devoted Christ follower. And uh, he was well-liked by his students at this high school in Perth. Uh, but eventually he did what many teachers do when they get to a certain age. He said, well, you know what? It's time for me to retire. And he retired. But after he retired, people started to notice something about all these students that he had taught over the years after they had graduated. Many of the students that he taught went on to not only accept Christ, dozens and dozens of them went on to accept Christ, but not only that, but many of his students went on to become pastors and missionaries and just do incredible stuff in ministry. And it didn't make any sense because this was a, this was a public school. This was not a school where they talked about God. And yet, so many of his students went on to do incredible things for God. And eventually, the, what's so interesting is David didn't even know this was happening until he was about 70 years old when the husband of one of his former students tracked him down to say, hey, did you know about all these stories? Have you heard about all these former students of yours that have gone on to be in ministry? And as soon as David was told about that, he just started breaking down. It's like he started crying, like he just couldn't contain himself. And when, 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 when David was asked, well, well, why are you crying? He said, I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Because, you know, I, I, I mean, this, this was a public school. He said, I never, I never said anything to these students about God. I never talked to them about Jesus. I never stood up in front of the classroom and gave an invitation. I didn't talk to them about God. It's just something we didn't do. But as a Christian, I still wanted to make a difference. And so since I'm an art teacher, a lot of my students will be working on projects. And so while they were working on their projects, I would just sit in the back of the room while they were working. And I just decided I would just pray a silent prayer over every single one of them. 
And yet now we see this huge harvest that his prayers had done. He never even said a word to him, but God had responded to his prayer in the biggest way. Why did that happen? Well, because when God's people pray, church, things happen. When God's people pray, things happen. I think about another story. Back in 1991, there was a young couple, Dave and Lynn Phillips, and they felt called by God to start a nonprofit to feed hungry children around the world. And they, call, they decided to call it Children's Hunger Fund, and they started it out of their garage in 1992. It wasn't much, but it was a start. But about six weeks after Dave and Lynn founded their organization, Dave got a phone call he would never forget for the rest of his life. He got a phone call from the director of a cancer treatment center in Honduras. And the director of this treatment center called him and said, hey, I know that you're a hunger relief agency, but I've got sort of a different kind of request for you. I've been making calls to anybody who will listen. There's seven kids at this treatment center that need a particular kind of drug, and I'm trying desperately to get my hands on it. Is there any way that you could help me get my hands on it? And Dave, you know, Dave said, Dave just decided, he said, you know what, I'll write down the name of the drug. I'll try to help, but honestly, there's just not much I can do. He had just started a nonprofit out of his garage, and he's saying, you know what, I would love to help. I'll write it down. But before we get off the phone, let's just pray about it. You know, it can't hurt. It can't hurt. So this guy who just started a nonprofit out of his garage and this director of a cancer treatment center in Honduras decide on the phone to just lift it up in prayer and say, you know what, God, maybe you can do something here. And sure enough, God did, because after David hung up the phone, while his hand was still on the receiver, he got another call. This time it wasn't from Honduras, it was from New Jersey, and it was a pharmaceutical company. And, this, and the guy on the other end of the line said, hey, you know, I'm not sure if you would have any use for this, but we, we have this particular drug we'd like to offer you. For, we, we have 48,000 vials of, just insert the name of the drug, available, and we would just like to give it to you in case you needed it, just in case you needed it. And Dave's jaws just like dropped to the floor because this is the exact drug that he had just prayed for. He said, but it, we, in case you could have any use for 48,000 vials, which was $8 million worth of this drug. And the guy on the other end of the line said, oh, and by the way, if you need to airlift it anywhere, like if you need to send it to a foreign country or something like that, we can hook you up. We can airlift it anywhere in the world you would like to send the $8 million of this drug. Sure enough, within 48 hours, the cancer center in Honduras had the drug they needed to save those kids' lives, and 20 other locations received it as well as an answer to prayer. Oh, and by the way, I know, it's incredible. And by the way, as of this year, in 2017, Children's Hunger Fund, you know that nonprofit they started out of their garage? Children's Hunger Funds distributed over $1 billion worth of aid to more than 10 million children in 70 countries and 32 states. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? Because when God's people pray, things happen. When God's people pray, stuff happens. You know, one, I have one more story for you. I love stories. It's just sort of my thing. Um, but probably what I would consider to be the most powerful story of prayer is a story I read this year about a church leader in Nigeria. Um, you've probably seen this on the news, but in Nigeria right now, a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters are being persecuted by a terrorist organization known as Boko Haram. And uh, Boko Haram is just as vicious as ISIS and one more. 
And not only that, but there's other terrorist organizations in Nigeria that are persecuting Christians that are completely separate from Boko Haram even. And so it's a very difficult situation. And there's one particular church leader in Nigeria who has become a huge target. His name is Benjamin Kwashi, and he's an archbishop of the Anglican Church there. And he's become a target for terrorism there simply because he believes in Jesus and he, he's outspoken about it and he's an outspoken pastor who will not stop standing up for Jesus Christ in public life. And that has caused him to be a target in that country. And unfortunately, in March of 2009, a gang of, it seems as if these, were, these guys might have been part of a terrorist organization, it seems to be that way, a gang of these terrorists broke into Benjamin's home to kill him. They were, they were going in there to try to make an example of him because of his Christian faith. And he wasn't there, thankfully, but his wife was. And um, when they broke into the house, um, they beat up his wife, they did unspeakable things to her, and they basically left her for dead. But God did a miracle and she survived. And over the next year, she started to recover and things started to get back to normal for this pastor's family. But a year to the day, a year to the day that that happened in March of 2010, they came back. And this time when they came back, Benjamin was in the house, his wife was in the house, and their teenage son. And when they came back, they broke into the house. Benjamin's wife and his son were able to get away for just a little bit, but unfortunately, Benjamin wasn't so lucky. And they grabbed Benjamin and they, the, the, the terrorists, they dragged him out of the house, they put him in the dirt, and they surrounded him. And basically, Benjamin knew this is it. This is it. They tried to get me last year. They didn't get me. And so this year, a year to the day later, this is it. They're going to, they're going to kill me. And so Benjamin made one last request. He said, hey, would you, just, would you just have the dignity to just allow me to pray one last time, just to, just to pray right here? And sure enough, they agreed. And as Benjamin started to pray, something amazing happened. He felt in his left hand a hand that he quickly recognized. And he looked up, and it was his wife. She had a chance to escape. She was out the door, but she decided to rush back right through the very people who had hurt her a year before, just so that way, whatever happened, whatever happened, it happened to Benjamin and his wife as a couple. By the way, you want to talk about a devoted wife. Goodness gracious. But they decided as a couple, now Benjamin wasn't alone. He and his wife decided, you know what? We're just going to pray together. We pray together and see what God does. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And then all of a sudden, Benjamin felt another hand in his right hand. And this hand, he also recognized. And before he even opened his eyes, he realized it was his teenage son. And he said, get out of here. Run. Why are you back here? Run. Get out of here. And yet his teenage son said, dad, dad, open your eyes. Mom, open your eyes. They're gone. They're gone. They ran away. There was something about you, you praying in, that, in the dirt there to where they just couldn't touch you anymore. They just had to run. They had to flee. Why? Because all of their evil and all of their weapons and all of their junk could not stand up to the power of, of prayer. Why did that happen? Because when God's people pray, why it happened because when God's people pray, stuff happens. When God's people pray, stuff happens. Here's the thing. When you direct prayer to... Here's the thing. If you pray to a God who doesn't exist, that isn't going to help you much. But when you pray to the God of the Bible, 
Prayer is not just a passive ritual. It is the powerful privilege. When you pray, it is not just something we do for the heck of it. It is a powerful privilege. But now we come to the toughest question of all, which is this. If God still answers prayer, which he does, if prayer does cause something to happen, which it does, and if it is effective, which it is, why does God answer our prayer? Why does he swoop in to save the day sometimes and other times our prayers are not answered in the way that we expect? And here's the thing. I always say a good question deserves a good answer. We can't just bury questions like this under the rug and pretend like they don't bother us. We have to answer it. We have to face it. We have to look into the Bible to see if we can find answers. And so for the rest of this message, I want to talk about three ways in which God answers prayer. When God says yes, when God says yes, but not in the way we expect, and when God says no. And I want to talk about what God is trying to teach us in all three of these situations and how God is still working in all three of these situations. Let me just take a minute to talk about the first situation. As you know, the title of this message is Something, so, which is what we receive from God, right? So my first point is this, that something could be God saying yes to prayer. Something could be God saying yes. Let me start by just saying this. Never underestimate the generosity of a God who would put his son on a cross for you. Never underestimate the generosity of a God who would put his son on a cross for you. I mean, I mean, I don't know if God gives us jobs in heaven, but I'm pretty sure mine's going to be managing the heaven branch of UPS or FedEx. Um, because uh, every time I pray, for some reason, I just cannot stop putting God's generosity in a box. You know what I'm saying? I know, that's a terrible joke. That could use some work. Um, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. I think God is a lot more generous than we give him credit for. I think God answers prayer much more than I think, God answers prayer much more than we realize he does. I mean, just think about what Paul said in Philippians. He, he said this, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. What is this verse telling us? First of all, it's telling us that God is rich. God is rich enough to supply you with everything you need in life. In the Bible, it says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He is powerful enough and he is rich enough to supply you with what you need. But look, notice how it says he will supply you. So that means two things. First of all, God is rich, but also God is generous with his riches. Isn't that great? I mean, God, not only is God able to bless you, he is willing to bless you. I love that. If God was able but not willing, that would be a terrible situation. If God was not able but he was willing, that would be a terrible situation too. But God is able and God is willing, and that's what makes him such a powerful force in your life if you allow him to be. He's able and willing. But there's just one thing that makes me just want to go bang my head on a wall. You ever just want to go bang your head on a wall about something? I'm a Cowboys fan. I feel that way every week. <laughs> um, for all of you Chiefs fans, you probably felt that way Thursday night. I am sorry, okay? Should not have lost that game. Those darn Raiders. Come on. Um, sorry. The Bible says to grieve with those who grieve, so I'm grieving with you. Um, here's the thing. According to the Bible, 
This is what makes me want to go bang my head on a wall. According to the Bible, many of us are denying ourselves access to this rich generosity that God can give us. It's not like God is saying, you can't have my generosity. You can't have what I can offer you. Many of us Christians in 2017 are denying ourselves access to God's rich generosity. Here is a verse that ought to change our prayer lives forever. In James 4.2, it says this, you do not have because you do not ask. Here's what this verse is saying. Here's what's so huge. God is saying there's prayers that you could be praying right now where the answer is yes. There's prayers you could be praying right now where I would say yes if you prayed them. Prayers about your marriage, prayers about your children, prayers about your career, prayers about your future, where if you dared to pray them, God is saying, actually, I would say yes, because I'm a generous God. It's what I do. But we don't pray them. Here's what I've learned. And this has really raked me over the coals this week. I've learned I have no right to get mad at God for not answering a prayer I never prayed. I have no right to get mad at God for not answering a prayer I never prayed. That's like a guy getting mad at his girlfriend for not marrying him when he never proposed. (laughs) And here's the thing, I think about our country today. We blame God for everything and yet our country's not praying about anything. And yet we wonder what's happening. I mean, here's the thing, if we, and and, and this is just just me ranting about America, but it's 100% true. If we got off, if if we stopped tweeting about our problems long enough to get on our knees and ask God for help with them, maybe some of them might just get solved for a change. You know what I'm saying? Because in James it says, God is saying, look, you do not have because you do not ask. I'm here waiting to say yes to you. And all I need is for you to have the audacity to just ask. I mean, and here's the thing, that can sound, it, it can sound like a negative verse. It can sound like James sort of kind of like smacking us in the face, like, what are you doing? You know, it's like, oh man, James, that hurts. Oh, that stings. Come on, James. That's how I sort of look at it sometimes. But I think there's a positive side to this that we don't talk about. There is a positive side to this verse that is extremely powerful because God's saying, look, I've got blessings waiting for you. I have solutions waiting for you. I have healing waiting for you. I've got a restored marriage waiting for you. I've got deliverance. I've got financial deliverance waiting for you. I've got deliverance from an addiction that is eating you up waiting for you. And it's here with me. And the only reason why it's still here in heaven and not where you are is because you simply just need to ask. But if you would ask, I would give it to you. That's that's amazing. That's actually something for us to rejoice about because if we start asking, we might just start receiving today. Will you ask? Billy Graham, I I love Billy Graham for so many reasons, but my favorite Billy Graham quote of all time is, heaven is full of answers for which nobody ever bothered to ask. (laughs) Sounds like something he would say. Here's the point. If God is waiting for us to ask, to say yes, we need to pray big prayers and we need to pray them often. Here's the thing, God's not offended by big prayer. I think sometimes we think God is offended by big prayer. God loves big prayer. God is all over big prayer. Big prayer is his thing because when we pray big prayers, it honors him. It says we believe we have a big God. If you've got a big prayer and you're holding on to it because you think it's impossible, why don't you just try him out? Just try him out. 
Maybe you're saying, this is my first time I've ever been in church. Someone told me they had coffee and I came. Look, try it out. <laughs> try it out. I mean, because God might do something crazy in your life. and you're, you're, I mean, it could seriously change your life. Just try. Because God is saying, you don't have, because you don't ask, just ask me. Just ask me. If you walked in here today needing God to do something for you, can I just say, please don't assume the answer is no. Don't assume the answer is no. We worship a generous God who loves you so much. I mean, don't assume the answer is no because he might just say yes. He might just say yes because that is what he likes to do. He is eager to bless. And by the way, just one more point before we move on. When you pray to God and he steps up and answers a prayer, give him glory for his yes. Give him thanks for that. In Psalm 100, it says this. It's a beautiful verse. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Man, I know something is very wrong in my heart and in my soul when I'm the first person to point the finger at God when something goes wrong and I'm the first person to take full credit when it goes right. Let me tell you, when something goes right, give him praise. If you ask God to deliver you from debt and he delivers you from debt, praise him for that. Praise him for that. Give him thanks. Give him glory. Bless him for that. If you prayed for your son or your daughter to come back from living life away from God and every single night you were on your knees begging God for him to do something and you didn't know where they were and you didn't know what was going to happen, but one day after all this fervent prayer, they show up at your door. That's a great time to just get on your knees and give him glory. Give him thanks. Bless his name for that. If you, if you prayed for God to open up a door that you never thought would open in a million years and you thought it was shut and that thing just burst wide open, man, it's time for us to praise him for that. It's time for us to thank him for that. Give him glory for that. Here's the thing. If you bless the name of God in the middle of a world that's cursing it, God pays attention to that. He pays attention to people who give him thanks and give him praise that, a lot of times people wonder, what's going to turn America around? What's going to turn America around is when we start giving credit where credit is due for the way God's blessed us. We're the most blessed country in the world. We need to give him thanks for that. We need to give him praise for that. Well, there's another way that God answers prayer. And I think if you've been praying for a long time, you've definitely run into this one. I don't, think you, I don't have any doubt you've run into this one. And that is this, that something could be God saying yes to prayer, but not how or when you expected him to. And this, God loves to do this because he likes to do things in his own time and in his own way. I wanna to talk to a very specific group of people right now because some of you out there, you've prayed for a miracle. You've prayed for God to do something big, but it doesn't seem like it's happening when you expect it or how. And so right now, you're you're tempted to just stop praying because even though there's still hope, you're kind of wondering if this is still going to happen. So you're tempted to stop praying. If that's you, I want to give you some encouragement today. I want to tell you really quick a story from the Bible that I think is going to encourage you. It's from the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. And uh, it, the, the story involves fire. And I'm a guy, so I'm immediately drawn to it. It's just the way guys are. It's like, oh, fire, you know? Um, but... Uh, that, that was interesting. But, um, 
In the book of 1 Kings 18, you find a story that is really powerful. And it starts out like this. God is frustrated with Israel because they're on the fence. They want to worship God one day. They want to worship this idol named Baal another day. And so God's prophet Elijah storms into the king's office and talks to the king of Israel, Ahab, who is not exactly the best guy in the world. He storms in Ahab's office and says, look, enough of this. All right, come on. We need to stop this. If God's God, let's worship him. And if Baal's God, we should worship him. So let's have a competition. By the way, I'm glad God's into competition. It makes me feel better about being overly competitive. And so God Elijah, Elijah tells Ahab, let's do a competition. Let's, gonna go, let's go up to the top of a mountain, Mount Carmel, and we'll set up two altars. One altar will be to my God, the God of the Bible, the God who actually created the world. We'll set up an altar to him, and then we'll set up an altar to your idol, Baal. And I'll call on my God to send fire to burn up my sacrifice. And you guys call on your God to send fire to burn up your sacrifice. And whichever God sends the fire, that's the God we worship. And so Ahab said, well, okay. And so they go up to the top of the mountain and they set up the two altars and Elijah lets the prophets of Baal go first, ladies first. And so they go first and they set up their altar and the prophets of Baal, they are some weird dudes because they don't just pray like a little bit. They start praying hours and hours on, on end, but that's not the weird part. After a while, they realize nothing's happening. No fire has come. So they start dancing around like a bunch of morons, breakdancing. I don't know what they were doing, but it was weird. And then after that, they start cutting themselves because they feel like their God's not listening. And this is my favorite part. After a while, Elijah decides to talk some smack. I mean, I love a smack-talking prophet. It's just cool to me. And so Elijah's like, hey, you know what? You guys need to yell louder. You know, just yell a little louder. You know, maybe he's hard of hearing. Maybe he's old and he just needs you to, you know. Or, or maybe he's in the bathroom. You know, it's possible. It happens. Maybe you just need to get him out of the bathroom, which I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, he literally says that. It's like my favorite verse in the Bible. Like, uh, actually, it probably shouldn't be anyone's favorite verse, but it is funny. Um, but the prophets of Baal pray, no fire comes. And so Elijah says, great, my turn. Time for us to get something actually going here. And so Elijah gets ready to prepare the altar to pray for God to send fire to burn up his sacrifice. But here's the part I want to focus on because we skip over this. We skip it too much. This is what Elijah asks the, 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 the guys taking care of the altar. Elijah has a request for them that I think is so good. Elijah says this. Fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Now, this is interesting because he's asking for fire, and yet he tells them to pour water. What? And then look at this. He said, do it again. And they did it again. And then he said, no, do it a third time. And he ordered, and they did it a third time. And it says this. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. The, the altar wasn't just damp. The altar was soaked. And sure enough, when Elijah prayed, not only did God send fire to, from, from heaven to light up that altar, it says the fire consumed the sacrifice, it consumed the wood, it consumed the stones, it consumed the soil, and all the water. Now that is a blazing inferno. When the people saw that, they said, uh, yeah, Jehovah's God, that is, yeah, we can't deny that. And for a little while, there was a bit of a turnaround in Israel. 
But here's the million dollar question. Why did Elijah ask them to pour water on the altar? That's a good question. And I think it, it's, more, it's an, more important than we think. It seems strange because pouring water on the altar when you're about to ask for fire, it sounds like it's making the miracle more difficult. It sounds like it's stacking the odds against the miracle happening. It sounds like it's making the miracle more difficult. Why would Elijah ask that? The answer is in John 14, 13, where it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And that's the part a lot of us remember because it's about receiving things, getting stuff, which we all love. But listen to this part that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus, what is Jesus saying? When God answers prayer, he wants to get the glory for it. When God steps in and does something incredible, he wants people to know that it was him. He wants to make sure that when he steps in, people know that he, that he did it and only him. This is so good. I could preach on this all day. We could just be here all day. This is so good. When Elijah had them pour water on the altar, why did he do it? He did it so that the odds would be stacked against the miracle happening so that when the fire came, there wouldn't be a doubt in anybody's mind who sent that fire. I mean, here's the thing. If the water wasn't poured, King Ahab, he was always, he, he didn't like God at all. King Ahab could have said, you know what, Elijah, maybe we just hallucinated that fireball in the sky. You know, maybe, you know, we ate, maybe we ate some strange things an hour ago, and, you know, we just saw that. And you're a sneaky prophet. You lit a match behind your back, didn't you? You lit a match behind your back when I wasn't looking. He cheated. He cheated. <laughs> Rematch. Mulligan. He cheated. But because the water was poured and the odds were allowed to be stacked against the prayer being answered, when it was time for God to send the fire, no one could deny who did it. And for all of you who are praying for a miracle right now, and the answer is not coming when you expected it or how you expected it, and you feel like the odds are being stacked against you and you're tempted to stop praying. You think God has abandoned you. You think he's done. You think the fire is never going to come. And you think this setback, you've run into a setback and you're saying, this setback must be God saying no. Perhaps God is saying no, but how do you know this setback is not just water being poured on the altar before the fire gets here? How do you know? You don't know. I mean, here's the thing. Like, perhaps this layoff is God saying no to prayer, but perhaps it's just water being poured on the altar before the fire comes. Perhaps this stressful time is God saying no to prayer, but perhaps it's just water being poured on that altar before the fire gets here. Perhaps this diagnosis Perhaps this diagnosis is a no from God, but perhaps it's just water being poured on that altar so that when the fire gets here, everyone will shake their heads saying, we don't know how this could happen apart from a miracle, apart from God sending his fire. There's no other explanation, no other explanation. God will allow the water to be poured so that way when he says yes, people know it was him. There was no, there's no doubt. And then you can give him glory for a miracle that only he could do. You can give him the glory for that. Keep praying. Keep praying. If, you, if the person you're praying for is you and you're still breathing, there's hope. 
If the person you're praying for is somebody else and they're still breathing, there's hope. Don't stop praying. Keep it up because you don't know if God's saying no or if he might just be pouring water on the altar. You don't know. That's why it says in Romans 12, it says this, rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Keep on praying. What do we learn when God says yes in a way we don't expect? We learn keep praying for that yes, even when things don't go according to plan. Here's the thing. The devil's greatest tool is to get you to stop praying for fire just because that altar's looking a little bit wet. The, greatest, the devil's greatest tool is to get you to, to believe the fire is never going to come just because things are looking a little bit uncertain. Things are looking a little challenging. These are, things are looking a little difficult. If he gets you to stop praying, he won. But if he doesn't get you to stop praying, he lost. He lost. So keep praying. Keep praying for that yes, even when things are seeming like it could never happen. Well, as boys to men once aptly put it, um, we have come to the end of the road. And, um, and yes, I'm old enough to know who boys to men are. Come on. <laughs> boys to men is my jam, okay? It's like, it's like, it's serious, it's good stuff, man. Um, but we've come to the end of the road because there's one last way in which God answers prayer, and this is the toughest of them all. Something, what we receive from God, something could be, God saying no. And let me just say, I don't take this subject lightly. I don't take this subject lightly because I know that for a lot of us here, this is not just a point in a message. For a lot of us here, this is life. This is a reality of life that has shaken our faith and it's shaken our belief to the core. And perhaps the reason that it's shaken our faith is that in the New Testament, over and over again, Jesus says things like, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be open. Ask for anything in my name and I will give it to you. And so when God says no, when God says no to something we've prayed, it sounds like the ultimate contradiction of all time. It doesn't make sense. Why would the God who said ask for anything say no? But as my dad always says, if you dig into the Bible enough, the Bible has a way of clarifying itself. The Bible has a way of interpreting itself. Every time people try to interpret the Bible away from the Bible, weird stuff happens. But when you allow the Bible to clarify itself, things become crystal clear. And in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, I think we get the clarity. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And this is the most difficult part because there are times where our will and God's will are the same. There's times where what we desire, what we want, what we need line up with God's will. And so when we pray, when we ask, that creates the perfect conditions for God to say yes. And that happens more often than not. God says yes far more than we ever expect. But there are times, even when we pray for something that seems right, we pray for something that seems good. We're not praying for something bad. We're not praying for something selfish. Even when we pray for things that seem to be the right thing, there's times where our will and God's are just at a crossroads. They're just at odds, and there's no way to resolve that. And that is the toughest test of faith any Christian will ever go through in their life. 
It is the toughest test of belief you could ever go through in your life. But before this message is over, if you're in that situation, I just want to encourage you. I want to lift you up. Because if God has said no and you're wondering if he's still for you, I have encouragement I want to say to you. As I was working on this message, I started thinking, who prayed the most famous unanswered prayer in the Bible? I was thinking about this. Was it Abraham? Was it Moses? Was it Joseph? Was it Peter? Was it Mary? Who was it? And then I realized it wasn't any of those people. The most famous unanswered prayer in the Bible was prayed by Jesus Christ. The Bible says that before Jesus went to the cross, he went to a secluded garden called Gethsemane to pray. And he prayed one simple prayer. He prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. If you want to know what Jesus is saying, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He knows what's about to happen. He, know, he lets out a desperate prayer. You ever let out a desperate prayer? He prays, if there's any way, Father, that I don't have to be nailed to that cross, if there's any way I don't have to wear a crown of thorns, if there's any way that I don't have to be whipped, if there's any way that I don't have to be killed by the very people I created, Father, please, Please let that be taken away from me. Please don't let that happen. I've learned this. Some prayers you pray in your heart. Some prayers you pray in your gut. I mean, these are gut-wrenching prayers, things that from the, from, from the bottom of your heart and your gut, you're just praying, Father, please, please, please. If it's something bad, it's saying, please don't let this happen. Or maybe we're desiring something so much, we're saying, God, please, please let this happen. And yet... Jesus knows quickly that his prayer cannot be answered with a yes. And so in the same breath, he prays one of the most famous lines in the New Testament. He prays, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It's one of the greatest statements in the entire Bible. And there's a couple things for us to take away from this today that is encouraging. And if you're struggling with unanswered prayer, here's the first thing. The first thing to take away is that just because God says no, doesn't mean that he's against you or punishing you. Think about this. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus was the perfect son of God. He never did a single thing wrong. He was without sin. He was without blame. He never did anything wrong. And yet, because the will of the Father had to be done, he was told no, even when he had never done a single thing wrong. So the next time you think, oh, well, whenever God tells me no, what did I do? I must have done this. I must have done that. God must be punishing me. There's schools of Christianity that teach that. They're morons, OK? Because here's the thing. Jesus is the perfect son of God. He never did a single thing wrong. And yet the father's saying, look, I, you, you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong at all. It's just my will has to be done. And so the next time that you think that God's saying no must be because of something you did, please just tell Satan to get the heck out because it's not true. The idea of God disciplining, disciplining us is a biblical concept. And sometimes that happens. But more often than not, there are times where God will say no, where you didn't do anything. So that's the first encouraging word to take away from that. And here's the second thing. If you think God is against you, think about this over and over again in the Bible. The, God the Father said of his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The father loved the son with everything. And he still loves the son with everything. The father is not against the son in any way, shape, or form. And yet he still had to say no. And so the next time Satan comes knocking on your door saying, God must be against you. Oh, he's never in your corner, isn't he? 
He's never helping you out. He said no because he's just trying to make your life worse. No, if, if the father could say no to the son because his will had to be done, it, it, the father was not against the son in any way, shape, or form. God the father could not be any more for Jesus. And so that is an encouraging word for all of us where God has said no. But here is the, mo- here is the big one. When God doesn't answer prayer, we have two options. We have two options on the table. One of them is this. One of them is to say the reverse of what Jesus said in the garden, which is to say, not your will, Father, but my will be done, where we hold on to our will because we think, if I was God, I would have done this. If I was wearing God's shoes, I would have done this. And so we hold on to our will for the rest of our lives and say, God, I can't get close to you anymore because if I were in your shoes, man, (laughs) I would have made a different call. And so we say, not your will, but my will be done. And I'm not trying to chew anybody out because I feel like I've done that a million times. But we have another option on the table, thank God. And the other option on the table is the hardest thing a Christian will ever have to do in their life. And yet it is the most powerful thing a Christian could ever do in their life, which is to say, God, I'm angry. God, I'm hurt. God, I'm afraid. God, I don't understand. But God, you know what? I'm pushing all the chips to the middle of the table on you. I'm waving my white flag and I'm surrendering. And I don't know what's going to happen. But just as Jesus said in the garden, it isn't my will that needs to be done. It is yours. That is the hardest thing you could ever do, but it is the most powerful thing. Here's the thing. We have a choice when God says no. We can hold on to our will or we can surrender it to a will greater than our own. And if you want, if you need encouragement today because you're saying, Stephen, that's exactly what I feel like I need to do. I I need to surrender to God and that is my situation. Let me just say this. If you surrender to God's will, you never surrender in vain. If if God has said no and you're in this time where you have to surrender your will to God's, you never surrender in vain. Why? Because surrendering to God is not our worst defeat. It is our greatest victory. When we surrender to God, it is not our worst defeat. It's our greatest victory. I always say this. The army of God, which is us, by the way, the army of God is the only army in the world that wins its battles through surrender. (laughs) Interesting fact. Here's the thing. For all of you who are deciding right now whether to hold on to your will or to surrender to God's in the middle, uh, to surrender to God's will when you're in the middle of God saying no, here's the thing. Think about this. If Jesus wasn't surrendering in the garden on Thursday, he wouldn't be resurrecting in the tomb on Sunday. Here's the thing. That's why surrendering to him is not our worst defeat. It's our greatest victory. Why? Because God can take the broken pieces of a no, and he can use it as the very materials to construct a greater yes than you even asked him for. When Jesus asked for that suffering to be taken away, if God would have said yes, something good would have happened because Jesus wouldn't have had to go through everything he went through. But because God said, I cannot do that, Jesus died on a cross so that you and I could have a relationship with God. And three days later, he said, booyah to death and walked out of that grave. And for all of you who are in the garden, for all of you who are in the garden surrendering right now, and you're saying, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. You might be in the garden surrendering on Thursday, but Sunday's coming. 
Sunday's coming. Because here's the thing. The Bible makes it clear that God can take the broken pieces of even when he says no. And even if, we, if it doesn't make sense, and we're, all we can see is the broken pieces. When God says no, we don't see what he's going to do. Only he can see that. So all we see is the broken pieces. But God takes those broken pieces, and he can make something beautiful out of it that goes beyond all imagination, no matter what happens. That's why it says in Romans 8, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And there's a verse that I think just knocks the ball out of the park on this one. 2 Corinthians 4, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. If I could say, if I could, if if I could just read one verse to every grieving person on the planet, it would be this. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. If God has said no and you're wondering to still trust him, please know he can take those broken pieces and he can make something beautiful if you'll give him the chance. If you will do exactly what Jesus did, which is to say, not my will be done, but your will be done. And God can do incredible things from that point on, I guarantee it. He can. Well, one thing I know is that there are times where God says yes to prayer. There are times where God says yes, but not in the way we expect. And there's times where God says no. But I know that in every situation, he loves you very much. He loves you so much. He cares about you so much that he allowed his son to die on a cross to pay for everything you and I have done wrong. So that way, if we accept that free gift of salvation, we can spend eternity with God. Don't walk out these doors today not accepting that gift because God wants to change your life. He wants to forgive you of what you've done wrong. If you're here today and you're saying, Stephen, I just never, I just never thought about that before, don't leave this room without accepting Jesus into your life because it will change your life. You're accepting, you're accepting a message that will change your life in every single way. And God loves you so much. No matter what you've done, no matter where you come from, he loves you so much. Would you all please bow your heads and close your eyes with me real quick? If you're sitting there and you're saying, Stephen, I, I, want, I want the God who can answer prayer in my life. I want the God who can change my world, who can step into my life and do incredible things. I want that God in my life. I want Jesus in my life. I just want to pray a prayer with you, and these aren't magic words. These are just calling out to God, saying, yes, I want you in my life. I want you to change my life. I I, I accept Jesus. If that's you, I just want to pray pray a prayer with you real quick. These aren't magic words. It's just calling out to God. So let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I believe that you sent your son to die on a cross for me. I believe that when he died on that cross, It paid the penalty for my sin. I accept your payment for my sin. And I believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Please forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I, I, we just want to offer you a gift. If you take the Talk to Us card that's right in front of you and you check the box to say you accepted Christ, you can take it right through those doors to the Info Center, and we want to get you hooked up with the Bible and a couple other things. And so uh, I, I hope to thank you so much for joining us for this week of Push, and have a great rest of your Sunday.